Welcome to the Sisters of Industry, a weekly podcast where a shared bloodline combined with divergent professional experiences set the stage for great conversation on doing work that matters. With Laura's global corporate experience and Jen's nonprofit startup experience, the sisters will provide you with insights that can be used to help you lead and work better starting now. We're here to make you laugh, make you think, and make you more industrious in your professional and personal life. that I own the fact that my generation's choice of music is crazy. We love to belt out hits of the 90s in our cars, like Mariah Carey or Bon Jovi, but then we claim publicly that we have a love for classic rock and Motown and Taylor Swift. I'm Jen, and my high school graduating class exited the stadium to Green Day's Good Riddance, which either does or does not answer definitively the question of whether I'm Gen X or a millennial. Either way, I had the time of my life. It's inevitable that we find ourselves comparing generations and how they think, act, and behave, how they work. And often those comparisons turn into complaints. With the exception of the universal respect afforded our greatest generation, most people like to talk about what's wrong with the generations that came before or after. And as we said last week, we're done with that. In this series, we're breaking down the stereotypes and putting them to use. Join us as we continue to to discuss how a leader with an eye towards the best every generation can offer can build an incredibly powerful, flexible, and fulfilling team. This week, we focus on the strengths that each generation brings, and we give some love to Gen Z. Let's go. Laura, I really enjoyed jumping into this conversation last week, and even as I talked to some friends and colleagues about the fact that we were doing this series, I realized people come alive when they start to talk about generations, because this is a very real topic and something that there's very real interplay with every single week. And so last week, we started, and you did a really good job walking us through the five generations currently in the workplace and some of how those generations play out and just defining what those generations are. And as we jump into the next leg of this conversation, I wanna talk about what is something from each generation that is fire for the work we need to do. So in other words, looking for, we know there's lots of things, but what's the one big thing each generation is bringing to the workplace? And so we're going to dive right into these five active generations and Laura talk about the traditionalists. Do you want me to sing Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire before or after this segment? (laughs) I would like both. I think you could bracket this beautifully. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, John (laughs) Array. That could get really bad really fast. So moving along and going back to the traditionalists. So Jen, I think that the fire that the traditionalists spring is their willingness and ability to do more than less. This is it or do more with less. Nice talk in there, Laura, their ability (laughs) to do more with less. This is a generation that, and, and you think about people, you know, from it, this is a generation that they had to use everything in their freezer, whether it was Brussels sprouts from 
2000, oh no, excuse me, 1905, right? Or, <laughs> you know, a, a squash that had been preserved for no unknown, for an unknown reason, right? Like we know the stories, we've heard them. They can do more with less in a way that is beautiful. They find ways to make really bizarre desserts using mini marshmallows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a phenomenal, resourceful group of folks that are so valuable to have available because let's admit that I think the degree of wastefulness, wastefulness may be a strong word, but the creativity when it comes with scraping the bottom of the barrel has kind of diminished in generations that followed from there, right? We started to have a lot more availability of resources, whether that was people available Mm -hmm. as the population grew post-war time, right? More Mm -hmm. people available, more actual resources as you can move things around the country, like physical resources became more available. There was just more of the things. Traditionalists had this beautiful fire that is we can make something out of nothing. And I love that about traditionalists. And I have to be honest, I've never... I don't think I've been in a workplace where I've actively been on staff with that generation. And I'm questioning that even as I say it, I think maybe when I was an intern back, you know, we still had some people on staff that would have been part of this generation, but there are people in this generation that I have looked to as mentors and they are simply not quick to discard when you're, you know, when I feel my own itch to go, well, let's just start from scratch or let's just grab something else because this one didn't work. There is a stick to that comes, the, the grit and the resilience of this generation to say, we haven't gotten everything we can get out of this piece. We can do more here. We haven't mined every treasure and opportunity in this one particular place. And so they're willing to stay with an idea a little bit longer than some of the younger generations. And so when it comes to a brainstorming process, I think there's a lot traditionalists offer in a world where, you know, again, we're used to being able to jump from one thing to the next, all the multitasking stuff, we can argue whether that's good or bad. Traditionalists are a little more content to stay focused and say, let's finish this conversation before we have 18 more. Really well said. And I think one of the things I love is that this is both a literal and a figurative thing, right? It's the conceptual, let's stay with the conversation. It's also the literal, we can make another widget if we scrape the bottom of that bucket, right? Mm-hmm. It's there, there's just so much of that stick to to be very professional about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is fabulous about traditionalists. And whether you have them formally in your workplace or even now if they're mentors to your workplace, a concept we're going to hit more as we get into our book of the month, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really cool thing. So the fire starts with this doing more with less concept we get from the traditionalists and the fire passes or then continues with the baby boomers. Jen, what's the fire you see in the boomers that you like? The boomers, it's the strong work ethic. And we're trying really hard to go, here's the big positive we can grab. But I think it's worth noting with the boomers, one of the biggest criticisms of them has been their workaholics. And so we see the millennials and the Gen Zs pushing really hard when we talk about those things moving to complaints. But I think we need to take a minute with the boomers and talk about the fact that this is also their superpower. The fact that baby boomers 
they are hard workers. They will work until the job is done. They are committed to the work. They find a lot of worth and worthiness in the work and in the effort. And there's a lot that the baby boomers have laid the groundwork for. And we talked about that a little bit last week, simply because of how hard they work. Which is a really phenomenal thing. And not only, I mean, a lot of people put in long hours. It became a very big thing for working long hours. It's still something we're fighting against. But a lot of times what you find is waste in those long hours as in generations that followed. What the boomers really do is unique is there's this strong, never-ending work ethic. And it's productive work work ethic. I think mm-hmm. about, like, what's the Diane Keaton movie where she starts the baby food business? Baby boom. Oh, well, that's ironic. There you go. Yeah. So <laughs> baby boom. <laughs> think I would have gotten there, right, Jen? So <laughs> the movie Baby Boom with Diane Keaton, I couldn't think of the title, but man, does that movie stick in my head when we talk about that, yeah. right? Here is somebody who the opening scenes, it's the corporate lives that she and her partner are living um, in that movie. And you, you know, you have scenes with them sitting up at night in bed, working, working, working. This is what they do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the movie progresses, she quote, goes to find more balance in her life, but it's still working, 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 building a business, right? It's just Mm -hmm. a different application of that effort, but the effort and remains. So it's an amazing, amazing fire that these boomers have that we should be thankful for. So I love this because we say, okay, we got the boomer with the stick. We've got the traditionalist saying, let's stick with it. The fire continues to grow with these boomers who bring this incredible work ethic to the table. And then I'm going to suggest the Gen Xers have a fire that is a um, resourceful and unique. They have this way of saying, we may not have much, but here's what we can do with it. They have this resourcefulness and they have an entrepreneurial spirit that starts to get into things. So it brings a little bit of creativity, a little bit more willingness to take a risk. These things start to happen with the Gen Xers that I think blend into this fire really powerfully. Yeah. I think what happened with Gen X and historians could do a much better job placing this But I think Gen Xers grew up in what was a pretty consistently growing economy with more opportunities. They had parents that were working really hard and, you know, maybe some grandparents who had, you know, figured out how to use every last thing. And Gen Xs then kind of grabbed hold of the confidence and the willingness to be entrepreneurs. They, they felt like they didn't have to stick with the system, but they could start something new. And, you know, and again, there's an identification here because you and I are both essentially exes. We're still lost about what I actually am. But, you know, this, this X-wing. And I think a lot of times we look to the millennials when we start to talk about things like a side hustle. And Laura, I've thought about this. And I actually think it's the X. I see Generation X out there as the founders of the side hustle that becomes the everyday hustle, that becomes the willingness to say, I'm going to take these resources and try something entirely new. And so I, I think about Blake Mykoski and Tom Shoes. You know, this is a Generation X mentality of, hey, I saw something. I'm just going to go try this and start an organization out of it. 
which is a really incredible thing to do. And what I like about it is that it's opened new doors, right? So, and we're going to get here in a minute. We'll walk some examples, right? So you start to blend that part of the fire with, hey, let's open this door and see what else we could do with the, hey, let's work really hard and stick with solving this problem. And it's incredible the power that we're starting to build here, right? And then let's turn around and add the millennials. So the fire grows bigger. The fire that the millennials bring to this story, I think this is where you start to say, okay, we're not going it alone anymore. Millennials to me are the now let's do it together part of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I particularly like that in the way that millennials have this way of saying, okay, let's get around a table. Let's get into a shared workspace. Let's knock down boundaries between departments. Um, Let's knock down literal boundaries between offices. Like it became an open workspace thing. It's getting back out of vogue again, but for a while it was Mm -hmm. very in vogue, right? This, how do we draw team together? Make sure everybody an inclusivity that's very unique. That part of the fire that millennials bring is so important because I think that's where we started to really see this turning point where the Xers turned us entrepreneurial, the millennial said, how can we be entrepreneurial together? Yes. And this is the one I feel like I see. So I confessed a few minutes ago that I don't know if I've ever actually been on a staff with a traditionalist. I've definitely been on staff with boomers, but I currently lead a staff that is all Gen X and millennials. So one of my growth areas is getting out of those generational boxes and making sure we've got more of the other generations in there with us. But because I'm on a team that's Gen X and millennials, this is one I feel like I see so directly. So one of the people on my team that's my truest Gen X, she um, she's incredibly creative. She really likes having the time to dig in, um, to try new things, to create new environments, to, to build things. And then when you tell her that we need to have a meeting, she's like, oh, like that's time, you know, that I got to step away from this incredible project that I'm trying to build. Whereas the youngest and I'll say truest millennial on my team would, would love nothing more than weekly all staff gatherings where, you know, normally that's a monthly thing where we're, you know, stepping out of the day to day so we can really dig in and and teamwork and brainstorm and all these things. He would do those exercises all day long because nothing energizes him more than the dialogue, than getting everyone together and see what comes out of it as a result. And so I just think of that, that interplay. And again, we're going to get here in just a minute of how the two then play so well together, but there's definitely a difference. A strong difference, a helpful difference. Jen, so then we go to Gen Z. You probably have a better shot than I do at describing Gen Zers, given what we do professionally. (laughs) Um, So Gen Z, I think, is still a little bit of a mystery wrapped in an enigma in the Mm -hmm. workplace, right? Because if they're working, they're very young workers. So we're still seeing how that adapts to a formal workplace. But I think we're seeing how they function as students, as volunteers, as members of the society at large. And we see some different things here. Jen, what's your thought on what the fire is with the Gen Zers? Again, I think you said this, but I'm going to reiterate it. We're guessing. We are guessing. (laughs) We're trying to call out some of the things we're seeing in their generation and how it's going to play in the workplace. But one of the things I'm seeing, but also honestly reading over and over again, is how the empathy of Generation Z 
is going to play in the workplace. And I know empathy can be one of those touchy feely words. And obviously, you know, that that goes a little bit in that direction. But what I'm reading, even in um, very academic language is that Gen Z is coming to the table paying attention to the people and things around them. And they not only want to know what works, but they want to know if everybody's okay. <laughs> and, and this still, I, I'm not even finding a way to say it that doesn't sound touchy-feely, but I think where millennials want to bring the team together to see what they can accomplish because they're still very achievement-driven, Right now, Gen Z's not showing us the same achievement orientation, but they're showing a much greater awareness of if we're all going to sit at the table, we should probably know each other. And I really like that sense of, and I, I want to start combining here, that sense of, okay, the strong application the strong ethic application of the boomers combined with the let's know who we're doing this with. Right. And then you start to, it's really cool to see that start to come together. Cause you say, wow. So that's a multiplier. If we can use a phrase that sometimes gets abused, right. That's a multiplier when you can figure out how to put together the, we're going to work hard and we're also going to know the people we work with and how to make them tick and get the most out of them. And the combination of that is, we're now exploding our fire, right? This is now an explosive situation, all positive. We're saying things like fire and explosion, but we mean them in the like positive fun fireworks kind of way, not in the, um, not in the more dark damage implied kind of way. So, right. Like this is a really exciting opportunity. And I think to myself as a leader, okay, we have to deal with a lot of crazy things in our experiences when we're trying to be out there and be industrious right now. But if we can learn to tap into these things with these five different generations and take their collective fire, it's a, I think it's amazing the things that we could be getting done. If instead of worrying about the fact of, you know, and we all hear the sentences, right? The, well, you know, it would be great if Susie would actually show up before nine so we could get to work, right? Like that <laughs> attitude about a millennial, right? Or if it's the, um, you know, do you think Ken even knows where his keyboard is? You know, like we hear the sarcastic comments about other generations that come out all the time. If we say, instead of thinking about, where that generation might be different than us and then presumably has an issue because nobody likes what isn't them, right? So instead of focusing on that, let's use the principles of strength-based leadership and say, how are we going to get the most out of a group that's made up of this cross-generational team? And I think the multiplying power there is absolutely phenomenal. So Jen, let's get example here just for kicks for a few minutes, right? So yeah. I think it's really timely. Um, we all know that I work in supply chain, but I think all the world works in supply chain right now, given the global environment we're working on. I was at an event at our school the other week where they were talking about the fact that they didn't have the materials they were supposed to have for parents because it was in a container coming from China. Nobody could find it. You know, I know that you've dealt with some supply chain issues, even in your church organization. Clearly, yeah. I deal with them on a crazy level in what I do professionally, right? But everybody is feeling it. No one can find Capri Suns on the shelves at the grocery store right now. So we are all in some way or another <laughs> experiencing supply chain challenges. Um, so let's think about how we take these five generations and what we just talked about and say, how do we solve some supply chain challenges with them? 
And I think this is just a, a beautiful way to look at it. So let's say, for example, the traditionalists, where we talked about the fact that doing less than more. Well, you know what? Right now, when I'm doing problem solving with supply chain shortages, oh my gosh, would I benefit from somebody sitting at that table or on that call who, instead of thinking about how we creatively get more or where we're going to source something different, their first thought is, well, we have 10. How do we make that 10 go further? Mm-hmm. How do we do mm-hmm. more? with less? How do we, you know, could we dilute that chemical just a little bit more without causing an integrity with the integrity with the end product issue, right? Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that we get every single one? How do we make sure we don't damage any along the way? So we get 95% retention of the raw material. Um, You guys can tell the world I'm living in right now, right? (laughs) That kind of thinking is phenomenal. If you can go and draw that out, and that's a traditionalist, and then you say, combine that with the baby boomer that comes to the table, who, like I said earlier, it says, okay, let's take that thinking, I'll sit here for the next 80 hours without a bathroom break and help figure out how to make that happen, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're making some progress, and we haven't even added in some of these other generations that you like to work with, Jen, um, right, yeah, because that, that then you're you bring- used to. Yeah, because then you bring the Gen X to the table who goes, forget that supply. We'll just find a different way to do it. And they throw it all out and they go, they go, okay, well, what if we didn't even need it to begin with? And what if there was a different way? And then you've got the millennials going, okay, but we need to bring some more perspectives around the table so that we're, we're considering this from all sides because this is how it's going to impact this group, but it's going to impact this group differently. And, you know, I think that's huge, Laura. I mean, you did say, you know, it's everywhere. And so here's my silly example. Our church in the last several weeks has worshipped, and this is just in the last several weeks. So we went from online, you know, virtual everything to, you know, we've been back meeting together um, in person for a while now. But just in the last four weeks, we met online only, and then the next week outside, and then the next week in a completely different area. And then in this week, we'll be back in the auditorium. Now, different things at play, but one of the biggest things in play over the last few weeks was the fact that air conditioning parts were not available for our primary space, which was a 95 degree COVID incubator. Okay. So, oh, yeah. Right. And so every week we were sitting down at the table going, what do we do this week? What do we have to try now? And, you know, and I watched, again, I'm going back to those two team members. I watched my Gen X who was going, I need to get back to my computer because I think I can build a really solid plan A and plan B that everyone can work with, but I want both fully on the table, fully organized, fully prepared and ready to execute. And I had my millennial going, oh man, but I think we could think about this longer. And I think, you know, let's let's get together and let's brainstorm some different options. And you saw the interplay and you needed both. I needed the person who was willing to take what we had and then say, here's two plans that can work. And here's two different things we can try. And then the person who said, yeah, but what haven't we thought of yet? And how do we keep brainstorming? And what could we do that's maybe different and completely out of the box that would make this a new experience or own the reality that we have? Um, in the meantime, I'm over there functioning more like a traditionalist or a baby boomer going, how can I just work hard enough that everything works the way I want it to work? 
So right, right. You know, again, yeah, we you don't are, all stay you're really in messed our boxes. up, Jen. No, <laughs> you're very messed up. Yeah, we don't stay neatly in our boxes. <laughs> That's okay. I I actually expect you to be beyond the box. That's pretty pretty part. <laughs> Pretty par for the course with you and part of your joy and delight and wonderfulness. But I love these examples, right? I do not love these supply chain issues, but I think it's a really good space to go brainstorm and make really obvious for us all in these different scenarios we're encountering right now. And you can even make it personal. Like, uh, for example, I mean, I'm sure anyone listening to this right now could name something they've not been able to buy that they had on their grocery list in the last two weeks or their target list or whatever, right? There's something you couldn't get. Well, you might have a baby boomer in your life, like Jen and I's mom, who does not take no for an answer when something's not available, right? No, no. Mom She'll go to eight will more stores. find said <laughs> item, right? So, you know, and, and I've had some of those examples where mom is like, I will find it. And she certainly does, right? It might take 18 stores in 40 hours, but she got that for me, right? God bless mm-hmm. her. Um, and then let's go ahead and just say Gen X, the generation that I've very squarely fallen, that kind of resourcefulness and entrepreneurialness is really good too, because it's like, we're thinking substitution strategy, right? Okay. I can't get that, but I can get this. Let's, let's, let's do that instead. Or even for example, this is crazy. 20 ounce bottles of Gatorade are almost impossible to get right now. At least where we live, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They've been incredibly difficult to get. And that's the size every concession stand in America is selling right now at their football games, soccer games, whatever sport is happening in your area, right? So everybody needs them. What did a bunch of folks at our school do the other week? We said, oh, Sam's Club's getting a load on Friday. We got that information. It was going to be a limited limit of two cases per person. So what did we do? Ten of us showed up to get our two <laughs> cases per person. And make sure that we had enough Gatorade for our concession stand for the next two weeks. By the way, we were one of four schools represented that day there to like help them unload the truck at Sam's if they wanted it to make sure we got our Gatorade, right? Um, So it's kind of crazy, but you can see how just every generation has this important, unique role that can help us be so much more productive as a society. Something Jen and I could talk about for hours, but we probably should wrap this core up, Jen. Yes. um, And say, I hope everybody's gotten that point. We're going to take a break here and go to Real Talk. And when we come back, we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about Gen Z, this mysterious group coming at us. Okay, today in Real Talk, we just walked through the one piece of fire that each generation brings. And then we did a little bit of scenario with the supply chain and how that plays out. Laura, in Real Talk, I want to take it to school. This is, you know, we're early in a new school year and that continues to be crazy and want to talk about generational teaching. So how we've got different teachers from different generations and then how they teach and especially even how we've seen them operate in ever-changing circumstances has been really interesting. And so, Laura, I'm going to go to you first. I have a really fun story I can't wait to tell about virtual open house for my middle schooler. But you actually have a husband that we've heard from before, our beloved John, who teaches and has spent a lot of time teaching middle schoolers, which you could call the bridge age. And I want to know what some of his observations are on old school and new school teaching and how different generations are handling it. You know, it's really fascinating because he is getting, you know, 
like they do in their profession, a first look at trying to figure out generations that aren't understood yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I will tell you that one of the things that has, that he's observed, and I've gotten to observe alongside him with a lot of virtual school last year, is that we have this generation coming that is um, that is responsive to almost anything you throw at them. So they're very open-minded in how you approach them. They're willing to do the independent work, the group work, the verbal, the nonverbal, right? Like they have this really cool propensity for taking it all in and and allowing things to come at them from a hundred different directions at a time, which I think really speaks to the kind of brains they've been wired with for this day and age where things are coming at you and we're all in sensory overload all the time, right? They're learning Mm -hmm. to adapt to that sensory overload. So that is incredibly fascinating. What's really funny to watch, and hopefully maybe John won't listen to this episode, is that (laughs) it's watching their teachers try to cope with being approached in like. So for example, I'm going to teach you, you know, they're teaching these virtual classes and even now back in the classroom and these kids continue to message them using the Chromebooks that are in front of them. Right. So you're teaching a lesson and your kid's messaging you asking questions (laughs) and, uh, but I'm being serious, right? These kids are using every single angle available to them. Some Mm -hmm. of the virtual stuff fostered a little bit of that and they're even helping each other solve problems. You know, well, somebody's stuck in the chat. I don't get that. So Jimmy's on the other side of the room helping Joaquin, on the other side of the room, sort that thing all out. Meanwhile, John's up there blabbing to nobody, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) But it really is, it's kind of phenomenal, right? So you're seeing this, hey, we're going to help each other. We're going to engage using a lot of different mediums Uh simultaneously to some degree. And then we're watching these teachers Thank goodness many of them are of these ages where we talked about they've either got a really strong work ethic or they have that flexibility and entrepreneurial spirit that they're rolling with it, baby, right? It is a chore sometimes and it's confusing sometimes, but they're buckling down and working with it. So I think that's kind of one of the funnest things is to just watch that like flexibility blend with that. I don't understand it, but I'm going to get it done, right? It's Mm -hmm. kind of cool. It's a very, very cool thing. And it's a little bit stressful to watch them all go through it, but I'm not going to lie. It's more funny than stressing most of the time. Yeah. And the communication thing is hysterical. I remember being in graduate school and for the first time in an academic setting where there was a wireless connection, they did a building project while I was there. And so the old parts of the building I mean, there was no wireless in certain areas. So we were either taking notes on paper or this will date me magnificently. Um, We were working on fold out keyboards that our BlackBerry would attach to, to take notes in the class, right? And, um, but then we, all of a sudden our last year, they had finished these parts of the new building and there was wireless and people were walking in with their laptops and there was this huge thing of oh gosh how are people going to focus and learn with these lectures when they also have access to other things and now you think about where we are right now and the fact that we were worrying about that what i consider so recently ago feels absurd (laughs) because we live in a world that's wired everywhere all the time well laura i have to tell this quick story about my experience the other week because it plays right in to some of the generalizations about generations but I laughed hysterically. So our um, middle school is in school in person, but things were pretty crazy a few weeks into the school year. And so when they were getting to open house, which is the night they always have a few weeks in for parents to go and meet the teachers and hear about the curriculum, it's less of a meet the teacher and more of a tell us about the syllabus so we know what our kids are doing. 
and it was moved to virtual. And so the way they did it was we were supposed to log on to our child's computer onto their Microsoft Teams, and then we had 10 minutes to walk through their schedule and essentially be 10 minutes in a live thing with each of their teachers. And I um, didn't know anything about my son's teachers really to that point. And so I went from in these really quick 10 minute bursts, seven different teachers and seven different teaching styles. And I won't walk through all of them, but you could name the generation. I mean, I went into his algebra class and had a teacher who walked through a PowerPoint of the curriculum and she was confident. She had set up her background. She was fully engaged and she had a very clear path that she was going to walk. And then went to another class with a teacher who was sitting on his couch and spent most of the 10 minutes introducing us to his dogs and then just asking if we had any questions and how he could get to know us. And then went to another one with a, a woman who I about gave away her thing, who used a series of memes to describe how her class would function. <laughs> and I just, it couldn't, the, the shifts couldn't have been more drastic as I went from what was clearly a Gen X teacher to a millennial teacher to a Gen Z who just came out of college and is a first year teacher and the creativity. And I left there thinking, I am so eager to see how my child engages with each of these teaching styles and these different personalities, these different modes of functionality. So anyway, I'm sure he's going to get a lot from all of them. I thought it was just a super fun illustration of completely different generations and just being able to sit back and go, wow, we really are different. I like it very much. All right. Well, that's some real talk. We're coming back in just a minute to zero in on Generation Z. Jen, we're going to take a risk here, which is unusual for a Gen Xer like myself. But the <laughs> risk I want to take is to spend just a little bit of time talking about Gen Z, which is still a mysterious group, right? We're understanding mm -hmm. how they behave as children, even as teens. God save us all. <laughs> and... um. And starting to get a look at what they look like in the workplace. But I think it's really interesting to just spend a few minutes and talk about what are some of the things we do know about these Gen Zers and how does it apply as we start to think about working more with them formally or informally, even starting, they're starting to show up in some interviews and in our employment categories very actively, right? So um, it's worth spending some time trying to say, what can we learn about Gen Zers? And I'm going to start right at the top. Um, doing a Stephen Covey with beginning the beginning with the end in mind and saying that one of the things that I'm finding most fascinating as we learn about this emerging group of Zers is that this is a group of persons that are very high on the empathy and inclusion scale. And this is something that we very quickly can start to get negative about, right? And there are a lot of ways in which you can say, oh, there's so many, so busy feeling and wondering how we can all get along. And, you know, they want to include everybody. And that's, you know, we can, it's really easy to be negative about that. But one of the things that I think we need to learn how to really harness and part of the fire of this group is that with that mentality comes a generation of bridge builders. 
of folks that are going to go out there. And I think I'm asserting that I think this is the generation that's going to do the hard work and helping us figure out how to work better together across generations, across races, across geographies, um, across all the things, Jen. This is a bridge building team, the way I see it. And one of the things that I'm most excited to see play out is how they're going to do that. And I came to this conclusion a few weeks ago, actually watching my own 17-year-old in the work environment. And she came home from work. Um, This actually goes back a, a bit now. She was training at a new job. And she was really excited to tell me how she had spent the day training with someone who I'm going to guess was either a boomer or an Xer, right? So old, according to her, right? An older person, <laughs> an older person. But what she was excited to tell me, it wasn't like she came home complaining that she had to train with some old lady, right? Mm-hmm. What she wanted to tell me was she trained with this really cool woman who had so much cool life experience, including having spent time in the military and traveling the globe, and then deciding that she needed to be more present for her family as her kids started to have kids. Like she went through this whole thing about how this person was such a unique and eclectic background was her trainer at Panera now, right? <laughs> and she was so excited about finding a way to to bridge, to learn from this person, how to work with her and feel included um, together at the workplace. And I thought to myself, okay, this generation is figuring it out and they're going to take diversity and put it to use. So I think previous generations have acknowledged it and started to figure out how to recognize diversity and the benefits of diversity. These kids are going to figure out how to make diversity work for us. I agree with that. Here's where I think the tension lies. I think that where, if we can just name it, one of the generation tensions has been the boomers and the millennials, because the boomers think the millennials are lazy and the millennials are like, who are the old people? We don't care about them. And, you know, they're just old and don't know how to pay attention. So I think that's one that we've wrestled with that's been talked about ad nauseum. And neither of those assertions is doing justice to either of those generations. But to where that tension has been and where the millennials have been a little more content to just brush aside and deal when they have to with that generation, you've got Gen Z coming in and they are seeing everybody in the room and they want to understand everyone in the room. Now, the interesting thing and where the research is playing with this, though, is that they are very aware. They are very interested in building bridges. However, as a generation, they're a little socially awkward. (laughs) And so I think one of the things that's going to be interesting is we're seeing this potential superpower they have but then how they learn to actualize it and how they learn to not only see the generations, but then engage them and bring them together, I think is a high potential, but an interesting learning curve. I think that's very well said. And I think it's one of the things that we have to all recognize and say, how can we go help blend that together? So Mm -hmm. you said it well, it's a socially awkward generation. I'll continue to talk about my daughter. I'm going to have to embargo this entire episode to my family. (laughs) Um, So I'll continue to talk about my 17 year old who has really great insight and that lovely sentiments that I shared earlier about a trainer at Panera, right? Um, At the same time, 
we also have this serious, not serious, but actually very serious thing in our house where there's like a checklist of things we need to see her be able to do before we feel good about her going to college. I'm being serious. Others that are in my age range dealing with this transition might know what I mean. One of them is, can you go into a store and interact with somebody, right? Like what is their ability <laughs> to walk in and have a conversation with somebody, to make a phone call, to place an order, right? That ability to do the human eyeball to eyeball talking interaction with a stranger, these are hurdles we have to make sure these kids can cross because it's still necessary in life. But these kids think that all food appears because they use their DoorDash app, right? Mm -hmm. yep. um, they know how to do everything including love and care for one another without any actual interaction. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating. It is. It's truly amazing because it's not a shallow connection. It's a real connection to them, but it happened without actually connecting. And so it's, it's going to be interesting. And Laura, I did find a, a Harvard Business Review article from June of last year that was you starting. You go, HBR. I, I know. Yes. Are you so proud? I figured you were going to be so proud. I tried to be subtle about it, but I was waiting for you to, to give me my gold star. But this was from June of last year. And like we've said, Generation Z is so new to the workforce. And what they were talking about was just how much the COVID pandemic is shaping Generation Z's entry to the workforce. And it laid out three areas that companies were gonna have to focus on in order to support this organization. And one of them is exactly what you and I've just been talking about, and it's the emotional intelligence. And it's, mm -hmm. and they said, you know, in part, it's the, the tech piece and how they have and have not had to interact with people, but also the fact that there's been a massive interruption to the critical point in their life when they would be figuring out what motivates and fulfills them. And mm -hmm. instead of being able to dive into that and explore that, they've been in survival functionality, adapt and keep moving. So again, that so adaptability true. is going to be awesome, but they also lost the opportunity to, to really do that. The other piece that the article brought out was that um, of these three areas, another one, stress management. This generation already struggled with that, but then they're entering the workforce in the midst and on the heels of a pandemic. And so teaching them to manage the stress because part of the reason their stress is high is because they are paying attention to the room and they're absorbing mm -hmm. the stress around mm -hmm. them. And so that's yes. a gift. That's a gift if we can harness it and, and effectively mentor and walk them in and then help teach them to lower that stress level while not needing to shut out the people that they're so in tune with. And then Laura, the third one that it mentioned that we haven't started to dive through yet, but I think we can is skill development. And that's simply being the fact that, you know, for some of them, they were in the midst of a university education or a trade school education that shut down and went online for their last two years. Like think about the people that finished med school in the last, you know, they graduated last year and will graduate this year. Oh, sure. How much of their education was totally warped? I actually heard a really good comedic bit a couple of weeks ago about like, you know, our, our next generation of plumbers learned how to do plumbing using <laughs> online tutorials and they've never actually like 
touched a C clamp or whatever you use to plumb, right? I that was it a good really is. I think a, it is a C clamp. I, <laughs> I just know what I'm doing there, babe. I'm so so hands on at dialing the phone and having someone else fix things. So, I, but it is. It's a really good point, right? I mean, even think a minute ago what I was saying about with my daughter and saying, you know, we have all these can you interact with other humans hurdles that we wanted her to cross in order for us to feel good about her leaving to go to college. Meanwhile, let's take the college interview process. Guess what? Nobody's doing them anymore because Mm of all this virtual stuff. So, you know, where I would have said, it's going to be a big deal that she goes to colleges and looks admissions counselors eyeball to eyeball and interviews for a position in these schools. It'll little stinkers getting away with going to school without having to even take that step because nobody's doing it now. Right. So these are skill sets that are underdeveloped and, but I don't want to get so fixated on that, that we lose the sight that they have all these other beautiful gifts and skills that are coming to the table. And I think as they continue to develop the curiosity that that's going to bring with them, the empathy that they have, their ability to fill, I think they just see things so much more clearly than we do, despite the fact that they're getting overloaded with messaging. They get right to the heart of things and they're not afraid to say it. These are beautiful gifts and skills. And I'll go back to where we started. I think all of this makes this a bridge building generation. I hope I'm right. I hope I figure out how to write a book about that that sells really well. But I think we've got a generation here that is going to help us learn a lot about how we connect despite our perceived disconnectedness as a human race right now. And if they're able to successfully do that in a way that they will, that I certainly can't fathom today, but I'm convinced they're going to figure out, I think it's going to be an absolutely incredible thing to watch how that happens and then how they continue to integrate the generations that follow them with their own unique skills and challenges. So Jen, this was really good. I appreciate the chance to just kind of dwell on Z a little bit. And I hope that for our listeners, it opened their eyes a little bit to maybe some new approaches to think about these Gen Zers as you're dealing with them in the classroom, interacting with them as your grocery clerk or or your Panera clerk, as it were, right? (laughs) And as you're preparing, you know, to see them go to school, be it trade school or college or whatever they might have planned for their futures, right? It's going to be fascinating to watch these kids bring their own fire to what we do. So thanks, Jen, for indulging the Gen Z part of our program. Mm -hmm. And how about you and I take a break and I'll meet you in a minute on Memory Lane. Laura, today on Memory Lane, I think we need to go straight to the heart of things and the awkward multi-generational social gatherings. And some people are going to call to mind a variety of different things, but what are those super awkward gatherings where you're being brought together with all these different generations? Laura, I have one that tops the list, and I'm going to let you leave off, lead off with the ones you remember um, and then share some of my own. But topping the list, you and I grew up in a culture that annually had mother-daughter banquets every year around Mother's Day. Oh, Jen, now you're just bringing it. So I hope that we are not insulting anybody that still does these kinds of events. Um, And if we are, just laugh with us, okay? Yeah. 
when we were growing up, it was totally a thing. And it was a big thing every year for us to have this mother-daughter multi-generational banquet, which, okay, it's lovely and sentiment. We would never do something like this today because we're much more sensitized to the fact that there are mothers and daughters that don't have a mother or daughter, right? Um, We're much more sensitized to things like that now. And we would do probably like a women's banquet, right? Or a multi-generational celebration, right? Which is great. We've got to learn and adapt. But these things, I think they stick out in our minds because they were often themed. And those themes brought interesting food, interesting drinks, interesting decorations. And I think, and take it away, interesting apparel when we would go to these events. Yeah. So the two that stand out in my mind, and so again, like mother, daughter, you kind of think two generations, but the idea here is that, you know, you brought every generation that you still had around and there were prizes given to the table that had most generations represented. And, um, the two themes that stand out to me, one was the pioneer frontier theme. And oh, yeah. we not only went in large skirts, but in fact, wore bonnets. Um, I, you know, and we love our mother and everybody, but I, I, you know, how we dressed up in these ways. And of course our mom did too. And so did our grandmothers who came along to these events. And then there was another one that I remember that was Hawaiian themed. And we were all wearing flowery dresses and lays around our neck and all sorts of bizarre things. So those were kinds of the strange, how did they get us to dress up like this? But Laura, then I have to go all the way out onto the bizarre end because not only did we have these in our church, but then we would also have to go to every year the one in our grandmother's church. And one year her church did one and you might remember this differently. I remember being so creeped out. It was doll themed. And as you walked in, there were all these tables decreated with dolls. Like the porcelain dolls. Like the creepy yes, porcelain dolls, right? Like yeah. creepy dork porcelain dolls that were staring at you. I just remember being terrified. Yeah, so you know, a couple weeks ago on Memory Lane, we talked about water moccasins being in water that we were swimming in and not realizing it and I couldn't remember the water moccasins because clearly I blocked it out I gotta tell you here we go again the mind is a mysterious thing I have blocked the creepy dolls out of my mind and I am sure that is my body's self-defense mechanism sticking in I think the point is like God love all these generations and what they were trying to do it led to some very 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 bizarre events having said all that I would like to say that two or three weeks ago at an event that I was part of, it was actually at school, not at church. We did like a classic covered dish type event, you know, everybody bring food to share, Mm -hmm. we're gonna put out tables. And the general conversation was, why don't we do this anymore in our lives? Because when's the last time you went to something like that, by the way? And so I just want to say, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, as we implied in our message last week. There are some really, really, really good things about some of these events. And I say, bring back the covered dish dinners. Just don't make me wear a themed outfit when I show up. Yeah, maybe that's the key. And please, no dolls. I'm just going to put a Amen. Firm. I'm just going to put a firm there. All right. Well, y'all, you probably, you either identified with that or we just totally went down a path where you think this is a particularly insane part of society you've never dealt with. But thank you for joining us today on Memory Lane.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sisters of Industry. We hope this episode made you laugh, made you think, and helped you grow in your industrious life. Thank you.